If you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, uh, turn with me uh, in the book of Psalms to the uh, sixth Psalm. Uh, now, as you're turning there, I can't remember if I said anything last week or not, um, but Psalms is not a book in the Bible, um, or just Psalms in general, is not something that I naturally gravitate towards. Uh, some people are, are really Psalms people, and, and God really speaks to them through the Psalms, and, and it really blesses their soul, and, and, and they, you know, uh, some people are able to turn to the Psalms whenever they're really maybe feeling down or, or got things going on or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I'm just, I've, I've, I've not been one of those people that the Psalms has really uh, been my thing. As a matter of fact, it's kind of outside of my of my personality of who I normally am. And uh, God, uh, God convicted me uh, a few years ago of that, uh, that I needed, I mean, Psalms is the largest book in the Bible. It's right there in the middle, uh, that it's important, uh, that there's more, there's more prophecy uh, about Christ in the book of Psalms than any other book in the Bible. And so anyways, God really dealt with me and convicted me about that. And so... Um, from time to time, uh, you know, he'll, he'll lead me to the book of Psalms, and I, and, and I spend quite a bit of time there. And so anyways, I, I feel like I, that, you know, God's given me three or four messages here out of the book of Psalms, and I don't know when I'll preach all those and how that'll go, but, but here we are in, Psalm, in the sixth Psalm this morning. And so this psalm is just 10 verses long. I want to read it to you this morning. We'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer, and I'll just try to share with you uh, what God has burdened my heart with this morning. Psalm, uh, the sixth psalm, the first verse says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning all the night. Make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxed old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be shamed. Suddenly, Let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Will you bow your heads with me here this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you this morning. We're thanking you for the good day and for the many blessings. Thanking you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning and to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we thank you for our church family, for each one that you've 
sent our way, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your presence, Lord, and just how you bless us and how you have blessed us and how I know that you're still going to bless us. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings, but we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord, that you sent him in giving. We thank you this morning for your word uh, and for the words that we've heard here this morning. We thank you for the testimony from our brother just a while ago, Lord. We know that you're still in the healing business. We know that there's nothing too hard for you, nothing beyond you, God. And, And so, Lord, help us to learn to trust into you and to just turn everything over to you Uh, and help us to remember and to learn that uh, what you have in store for us is what's best. And so, Lord, we just pray here this morning as we go forward, uh, Lord, that you would just continue to have your way and your will in our midst here this morning. God, I'm praying here this morning, Lord, that you'd give us ears to hear what you would say to us by your spirit, eyes to see what you'd have in in your word here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give us hearts to be doers of your word, not just hearers, but doers of your word. And so, Lord, I pray here this morning, Lord, you tell us your word will not return unto you void. And so, Lord, as your word goes forward this morning, uh, my prayer is that it would reach each one here this morning, that it would penetrate deep into the soul, into the very heart of each one, and that it would accomplish your intended purposes for it. I pray each one of us, Lord, would leave here different than how we come in. And Lord, if there's any among us that's lost and undone, any not sure where they stand with you, any that have not put their faith and trust in you, God, let today be the day. Let today be the day they turn it all over to you. Let today be the day that they put their trust, their faith in you and you alone. And we'll be sure and give you all the glory. Lord, one last thing. I need your help this morning. I can't preach without you. I got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So, Lord, my prayer this morning is anoint me from on high. Clear my mind of everything but your message, your words, your thoughts. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say here this morning. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so this, this psalm, this is another psalm uh, written by David. Uh, we can see what David is going through in his life. We can speculate maybe what has happened there. Uh, but here is the, the direction that I believe God would have me to take with this. I, I want to talk about unconfessed sin this morning. And it's important that we understand, all right, the effect of unconfessed sin in our life. And, 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 and let me just be clear right now. I'm not talking about, when I talk about confessing our sins, uh, just as Sister Patsy read about in 1 John chapter 1 this morning, I'm not talking about going to some man uh, and confessing your sins, right? That's the practice of the Catholic Church, maybe some other groups, I don't know, but I know it's their practice, right? That's not what I'm talking about at all. That's not something that God has told us or, or asked us to do, right? And now, and now if you've sinned against somebody, if you've done a brother, a brother or sister wrong, you absolutely need to go to them and, and, and seek their forgiveness and try to make things right with them. No question, no doubt about it. But what I'm talking about here, when I'm talking about unconfessed sin, I'm talking about uh, sin that we have not repented 
of, all right? And I want to talk for just a minute this morning about the effects of that on our life and why it is so important, okay? And so let me let me start out by reminding you what um, the Apostle Peter said, right? Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, right? In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 15, he says, But as uh, he which hath called you is holy... Right? He's talking to us, right? Just as the one who has called us is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Right? That's not something new. Uh, that's not something that just come about in the New Testament, right? Uh, he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting from the book of Leviticus, if I remember right, when he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So we have been called to be holy, right? And so anyways, uh, uh, um, but, I, but w- the question maybe should be, what happens? What happens, right? The opposite of that holiness is being unholy, unclean, in other words, having unconfessed sin in our lives, living in sin. So what happens when a believer falls into sin, right? Now, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, the question is, what do you, in the Holy Spirit of God, if you're a child of His, He it will convict you, he, he will convict you of your sin. But the question is, what happens when you fall into sin and we refuse to acknowledge it? Let me remind you before we go any farther of one of the verses that uh, our sister Patsy read to us this morning. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we fall into sin, we refuse to acknowledge that sin, we're the same as saying that we have no sin. The Bible says when we do that, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. When we fail to acknowledge and confess our sin, God will apply, as the Bible says, His chastening rod to us, right? In order to restore us to holiness, right? So in other words, when we, when we refuse to acknowledge and confess our sin, when I said that God will use His, the Bible says, chastening rod, Right? In other words, he'll take a switch to us, right? A spiritual switch, a holy switch to us. I don't know how else to say it. Whenever I was a kid and, and get in trouble, right? Uh, Dad had cut a switch, uh, and, and I knew that it wasn't going to be good at that point, right? I knew I wasn't going to like that. It was going to smart. But he wasn't doing it to be cruel or to be mean. He was doing it to correct something that was going to be detrimental to me if I continued doing it. This is the message of this sixth psalm, I believe. I believe, first of all, it is an insight into the life of David during a time in his uh, life uh, where David uh, had persisted without acknowledging his sin to God. And, and, and I think that's the background leading up to this psalm. And I think the consequences 
of that unconfessed sin in his life were devastating. I think from reading this that we can see that David felt helpless and hopeless in that time. So let's just, let's just walk through it here real quick. The, I think the first seven verses is, could be classified or titled uh, The Problem of Unconfessed Sin. Right? Look at the first verse, right? O Lord, uh, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Right? So, first of all, we can see uh, uh, the loss, we can infer from that, the loss of pleasure with God. Right? He's saying, do not rebuke me in anger. Right? He, he, he's kind of saying, you know, uh, correct me gently. Right? <laughs> uh, don't, don't be too harsh. Do not discipline me in wrath. But what we really see here, I think, is we see the loss of David's pleasure with God. Right? That intimacy, that closeness. Uh, uh, I, I really think that we can, that we can see that. Right? And, and so, well, I'll talk about it more here in a minute. Let's go on for a minute. In the second verse here, it says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak, O Lord. Heal me, for my bones are vexed. Right? I think we can see here he's talking about a consequence is a loss of physical strength. Right? And so he's asking, God, restore my strength. Right? Heal my bones. Right? Uh, he was so grieved and so upset about this. Right? And the conviction was so strong that he physically felt like he was sick. Right? That's, that's I think... At least what we can come from that, right? Have you not ever been so deeply troubled by something, bothered by something that it made you physically ill, right? I think that's at least some of the description that we see here, right? And then in verse 3, right? I think this goes right along with it. My soul is sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? <laughs> right? And we're talking about a loss of his, of his emotional peace now at this point, right? He says, my soul is anguished, right? The whole person is affected by this unconfessed sin, right? By refusing to acknowledge his sins to God, right? My soul is impatient. Uh, he couldn't stand it any longer. And then verse 4, return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. I think we see a loss of spiritual intimacy there. Right? Close relationship. Gone. Return to me. He no longer felt God's presence. That's why he said, save me. I, I, I'm not even planning on going down the road of, you know loss of salvation and all that that's not the direction I'm going here I, I think what David I don't even think that's what David was getting at there I don't think I'm not sure David would even think of things quite in those type of terms like we do today uh, what David is talking about is he no longer felt God's presence in his life he no longer had that close intimate walk with God, all right? Let me say a couple things about that here uh, this morning. First of all, should, this should bring our minds back and make us think of the Garden of Eden. What 
happens there when sin enters into the world, right? Do you remember that? Do you remember how all of that went? Uh, God uh, created man, right? Out of the dust of the ground, he formed man, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man become a living soul, right? So we see that, and then we see as Adam looking for a helpmate for, uh, for Adam, right? And they go through, right? And, and, and God brings and creates all of the animals, right? One after another. That's the way I see it in, in my mind. I almost see it like, you know, God's just bringing them up out of the dust of the ground right there in front of you. And Adam is naming all of them, but in all of it, there's not a suitable helpmate for, found for Adam. So then uh, God caused a, di- a deep sleep to come over Adam. And he took out of his side the rib. And I think that that is important also, right? Because from that rib, he formed woman, right? And we see the connection in the names there also, right? And anyway, she was to be the helpmate, the partner, the however you want to say that for Adam, right? Helpmate is the words the scripture uses, right? And when Adam saw her, he said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, right? Here was the perfect, right, helpmate, right? And as we talked about this morning, that's why Jesus was talked about that the that the son is to leave his father and mother and join to the woman and the two are to become one flesh again reunited almost like as one and so anyways we see in this the creation perfect man perfect woman and a perfect paradise the garden of eden with a perfect relationship with god Walking just as close with God, as intimate of a relationship as you could possibly have. And then comes the tempter. The dragon, the serpent of old. Craftier than all the other beasts of the field. Don't know how much time elapsed there. A little bit of time has to go by. Um, see, when God made that garden, he put a tree in, in the middle of it. It's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. It tells Adam, you can protect everything here except that one tree. Can't eat its fruit. Now, some way, somehow, somewhere, that information is relayed to Eve. We don't have that recorded, so we don't know if God tells her directly or if Adam tells her. But somebody tells her. I personally think it was Adam. I, I might be wrong. I wouldn't argue with you about it. Uh, but I just, I just kind of think it was Adam. I kind of think Adam did her probably about like I would do Jennifer. As I said, look, we're not supposed to eat of that tree. And she starts asking me questions. And I'm like, look, don't even touch it. Just stay away from it, okay? That's how I see it going. I don't know. Don't want to answer all them questions. Just stay away from that stupid thing. Well, that serpent comes along. It's the devil. Tempter. And he tempts her. Understand something about this temptation. It's the same temptation that is tempting man today in everything, right? Because the temptation is, uh, you know, he says, 
can't you, you know, eat of everything here? And she says, yeah, everything but that tree. Can't even touch that tree, which is not what God said. That's not the command, right? That's what they call a fence law, right? That's, you know, it's adding to. But anyways, Satan tempts her and says, but if you eat of that tree, you know, first of all, he says, surely that's not what God said. Meaning, surely that's not really what God meant, right? Seed of doubt caused her to start questioning, start doubting. And he said, say, you know, says, when you eat of that tree, you'll become like God. Right? You'll become, in other words, he's, he, what he's saying is you'll become a God yourself. Now look, you might think, oh, well, but listen to me. That is the very thing at the heart of, of the problem of man today right now. That's the same temptation. You don't believe me? Let me challenge you on that. Global warming. This is my example. You may have heard me say it before. What's the theory, the premise on global warming? Climate is changing and it's man-made. What is, uh, how do I want to say this? What is, the, what is the, the root, the theory, the logic, the thinking behind that? Man, and, and so they're pushing real hard, do this, 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 and this, and we need to make all these changes so that we can change the climate back to the way it was. Right? What's the idea behind that? That man has the power to change the weather. I'm asking you, who's the only one that has control over the weather? Yeah, if you don't believe that, go ask your insurance man. Go ask your insurance man, because I'll guarantee you your policy has got an act of God clause in it. And that act of God clause has got to do with weather. You see what I'm saying? Right? We can start applying that to a whole lot of other things, right? We could go right on down the we could go right on down the list here. And I'm telling you, right, people say that power and money is is the motivator that's behind everything. And I'm going to say the thing behind that, right? Money is power, the thing that's behind power. What is the ultimate power is to be God. So here. Here he tempts her. Here, she eats, she takes up. And the crazy thing about that, I didn't even come to preach on Genesis this morning. The crazy thing about that is Adam is right there with her the whole time and doesn't say anything. And she gives to him. And it says to the man who was with her, there's Adam, and he eats too. That's why later on in the New Testament it says that Eve was deceived, but Adam disobeyed. He was willingly disobedient. And so they sinned. They sinned. They fell short of the glory of God. And sin is no different than when we disobey God. And what is the reaction? Do you see confession in there anywhere? Go home, read the first three chapters of Genesis. See if I missed it somewhere. If I did come back tonight, straighten me out because I definitely need it. In the first three chapters, right, we see all of these events I tried to describe to you take place and when they sin, do they go to God do the, with a repentant heart confessing 
sin, God, I have sinned. No. No. Do you remember what they do? They realize that they're naked and they cry. They, they realize they're naked, so they need something to cover their nakedness. So they take fig leaves, which is known for being an excellent material to make clothing out of. That's how dumb people are. That's how dumb we are, all right? They take fig leaves, sew them together to make themselves clothes. And the reason I started down this trail was there is a loss of intimacy with God. There is a loss of pleasure of looking forward to that time in the cool of the day where they would walk with God in the garden right there in the evening is the way I think of it anyways. And so when God comes, they run straight to him and say, Oh Lord, we've sinned, please forgive us. No. They've tried to cover their sin and then whenever they're, you know, coming into the presence of God or God shows up, they hide from Him. The relationship is not what it used to be. There's a loss of intimacy. There's a loss of pleasure. They would have in that moment rather God to have just stayed home. You know what I'm saying? Not to have showed up. And God calls out, you know, Adam, where art thou? Not because he didn't know where Adam was. Not because he didn't know what had happened, right? Uh, but, you know, they, they come out in the bushes and he says, why hid from me? And, uh, you know, they said, because we were naked and we were ashamed. And Listen, uh, ashamed if I ain't got to it yet. That's right there in those words uh, in that psalm that I was reading. That's all part of this sin, right? This unconfessed sin and the shame and the, and the separation from God. You, you understand that's what sin does, right? It is like a wedge. And it comes between you and God. And the farther that old wedge gets dri driven in, the more it separates you from God. So, here it is. David has had some sin in his life, right? Let me just finish that real quick. So then when God confronts them with it, right, the reason God says all that is not because he didn't know, but it's to make them, to force them to acknowledge it. And then, of course, that's when their heart changes, right? And then they're like, oh, we're so sorry, God. No. Adam says, he literally blames God. He says, if that woman you gave me, it was her fault. And then the woman blames the serpent, of course. Listen to me. If you think our nature has changed any, you are fooling yourselves. We, our nature is still the same. We still do the same thing. We still react the same way. David is a man after God's own heart. 
But David is still human also with the same nature that you and I have. And that's encouraging to me because if David could be a man after God's own heart, so can you and I be a man after and a woman after God's own heart. David is obviously feeling these things, going through these things, because he's let some sin in, and he's not dealt with it the way that he should. He's dealt with it the way the flesh wants to deal with it. He is hid from God. He has refused to acknowledge it to God until he finally come to the point that he is so sick that he is physically ill over it, and he feels like that if he doesn't do something, that he is going to die. That's what he's saying here. Let me, let, let me read a little bit more of this. Going to die, that's where I was going to get to in verse 5. For in death... There is no remembrance of thee in the grave. Who shall give thee thanks? As I told you earlier, I think from like verse 3, that he felt like he couldn't stand it any longer. Verse 4, uh, or 5, I mean, it, it, it's like he's communicating. He feels like that, you know, he's going to die. And so he's, he's a bit immature here at this point, right? It, it sounds a little bit like a kid to me, but that's exactly what our relationship is like with God, you know. We're children and he is the father, right? But anyways, um, first of all, death, loss of life is, is possible consequences, no doubt about that. And so he says, deliver me from death, right? Deliver me from the grave. And this is what I said was the kind of childish part, is he's saying, hey God, if, if, you, know, if you don't forgive me and, and I die because of this, how can I praise you from the grave, right? So in other words, what he's saying is, is uh, you know, uh, dead men don't get up in service and give witness and, and praise and glory and they don't go out and win lost souls you know so that's kind of what he's getting at and what he's saying there and it has gotten so bad listen to verse six and seven right he says i am weary with my groaning all the night make i my bed to swim i water my couch with my tears mine eye is consumed because of grief it waxed old because of all my enemies he has lost he is lost sleep. He cannot sleep, right? I get the picture of tossing and turning. I get the tears, uh, or the picture of tears, right? I groan all night. I grow weary. That is David's description of the effects of this unconfessed sin, of this refusing to acknowledge our sins to God and to repent of them. And then there, there's something that happens between verse 7 and 8. Actually, in my Bible, and I don't know, different Bibles probably do this differently, but they actually put a gap, an extra space, between verses 7 and 8. I think maybe they were trying to, trying to help see the change, something that's happened here. I think in this last, uh, er, 
in verses 8, 9, and 10, I think what we see is we see the power of confessed sin. I think in a sense that's, you know, not only is he describing to us in verses 1 through 7 the facts of his unconfessed sin on him, but he is admitting that to God, right? And he is, you know, I think in here hap- repentance happens and confession. Now, we don't get the details of that, and that's fine because it ain't none of our business, right? And you and when others, right, come before God and confess sins and, and repent and things like that, hey, that ain't none of your business and that ain't none of my business. That's between them and God. But it, look at verse 8 and 9 here. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my uh, supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Right? All of a sudden now, there is confidence in prayer that God hears him. Right? There was no confidence that God heard him before that, but now at this point, right, uh, there is, he has confidence, right, that the Lord will accept his prayer. Can I just say something that is very controversial, I found out amongst Christians, but I believe it is very scriptural. Did you know that the Bible says that God does not hear the prayer of a sinner? Now, I don't mean the repentant prayer, right? We usually call that the sinner's prayer, right? When a person is praying to God and they're repenting. I'm talking about the prayer of a sinner. Did you know? Let me just read you the scriptures, all right? Uh, John chapter 9 and verse 31. You can either turn there with me or, or write these down or ask me later and I will give them to you so you can check it out yourself. But uh, John chapter 9 verse 31 says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but, any, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. All right, now there's a lot of context around that, in, and I'm not going to go into all that, but the point that's being said there is true. And the other verse to back that up, or verses, is Isaiah 59, okay? The first two verses in, in Isaiah chapter 59. Let me read them to you real quick. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities. What's your iniquities? It's talking about sin. Your sins have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. That's what God said. Thus saith the Lord. Right there. That's the last uh, five words in uh, Isaiah 59 two, That he will not hear. I told you this before. It amazes me. People that are angry with God. And they're angry with God because they felt like God didn't answer their prayer. But yet here they are. They don't turn to God. They don't trust in God. They don't care anything about God. And then when tragedy strikes... They call out to God one time, right? And because God doesn't do exactly what they want to right then, they determine God is not real or God is evil or, or, or malignant in some way or something like that. Listen to me. If you ain't right with God, your prayer ain't getting no farther than, what you, than the sound of your voice. I know that's harsh, but that's truth. The first thing that's got to happen, got to happen right in here. There's got to be a change of heart. 
You've got to repent and you've got to confess that your sins to God and ask Him, acknowledge Him, trust Him, put your faith in Him. Then, then, that's why it says that there toward, at the, towards the end of the book of James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It doesn't say the effectual fervent prayer of somebody who's really in need. It doesn't say the effectual fervent prayer of somebody who is really desperate. It doesn't say the effectual fervent prayer of somebody who really, really wants God to do something for them and it's unselfish, it's for somebody else. It doesn't say any of those things. You'll not find a verse anywhere that says anything like that. It says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. That means somebody who's right with God. Effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayers of somebody who's right with God make a difference. That's what it says. So the first step, right, is the same thing you see or is implied in the first seven verses of this psalm. You better repent and get things right with God. Then that relationship can be restored. Then there can be intimacy. Then can you, just as David says here, in this uh, eighth verse or ninth verse. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. There's a reason why that's here at the end and not in ver- at the beginning in verse 1 or 2. And then verse 10. I think we see a confidence towards God here. Let my enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. God will, what he's saying is God will convict my enemies too, right? Uh, God will not let, uh, will not allow sin in his children to go unchecked. That's first and foremost. And when troubles come our way, we would do well to examine ourselves to find out. Maybe God's trying to correct us for something. Maybe there's some unconfessed sin in our lives. Maybe that's not it at all. I'm just saying you better make sure that things are right with God. Right? Haven't you ever heard the saying before that we should keep short accounts with God? Right? Keep our books clean. Right? Uh, we need to look. We need to regularly examine ourselves. We need to regularly say, God, is there something in my life? Is there something in my heart? Right? That's not pleasing to you. That doesn't bring glory to you. Something that doesn't belong there. Something that's coming between me and you. If there is, God, please Bring it to my mind. Bring it to my attention, Lord, so I can repent of it, so I can make it do what I need to take care of it and get it out of the way because I don't want anything to come between me and you because that is the most important thing in my life is my relationship with you, my walk with you. That right there, uh, friends, has got to be our heart. That's got to be sincere. That's got to be our true desire. And if we're truly His by faith, then God will hear us. He will hear us when we call out to Him. Uh, I want to read one more verse to you. In Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 and 14. 
I think it goes along here. He that covereth his sins. Pause for a moment. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? We've got a literal physical picture of them trying to cover their sins. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth heart shall fall into mischief. Listen to me. Holy Spirit brings it to your attention. He convicts you. I'm begging you. You've got two, you got two options at that point. You either acknowledge it before God and to God, or you can refuse to acknowledge it. Now listen to me. If you acknowledge it to God and you're sincere and truly repentant, just as Patsy read to us earlier, God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He absolutely will wipe the stain of that sin away. But if we follow what the, our human nature is, what we naturally want to do, the flesh, and we refuse to acknowledge it, do, do you understand what that act, the spiritual implication of that act, not only do we have all the things and the misery and everything that, that David has shared with us that he went through, but the result of that separa separation, right? I described it like a wedge. The Holy Spirit comes and he is pricking our hearts. But if we ignore that, our hearts become calloused, right? And it's not that the Holy Spirit won't come along and prick that heart again. But you know what it's like when you get a callus on your finger? When your finger is nice and tender and there's no callus there, boy, you know, a little poke and you really feel it. But you get some calluses built up there, and before long, you've got a big enough callus, you won't even feel that poke at all. That's exactly what our heart does when we refuse to acknowledge that sin. Right? When we, the Holy Spirit convicts us and we just push back against it, we become calloused, right? Our heart begins to callous. And, and it gets harder and harder to he hear the Holy Spirit. You feel that, you feel that prick less and less and less until you get to the point that you feel like, just like David, that you don't even hear God anymore. And that wedge, right, it's, it's separating us from God. Don't do that. If you want to talk about what the, what the hang on just a second, Jennifer. If you want to talk about what the final end results of that is, come see me and, and we'll talk more about it. But let me just say this. Let's not even go that far. Let's not even get there. Let's, when the Spirit of God convicts us, let's, all, let's not resist. I, I, I want to close with this one illustration, and then, and then we'll have an altar call. I come across this years ago, and I thought it was really good. 
And it's talking about the cleansing, the washing. But it's using the physical illustration of soap and water. The illustration is, is that soap and water will wash your hands clean. But what you've got to do is you've got to rub the soap onto your hands and then bring your hands in contact with the water, right? It's not enough just to have soap and water. Somebody that refuses to take a bath, you can give them all the soap and all the water that they want, but they ain't ever going to get clean as long as they refuse to take a bath. Now, I understand what's the implications of all of this, of work salvation and, and all of that. I'm not implying that at all. Matter of fact, I would ask the question, right? I said it takes soap and water to, and it'll wash our hands clean, right? But you've got, to, you've got to rub the soap onto your hands and then put them under the water, bring them in contact with the water, right, in order for them to be washed clean. And so the question is, do you, clean, do you cleanse yourself? Are you the one that is cleaning your hands? Well, sort of in a way, I guess, uh, you, could, you could say that because without the, the friction that comes from, from rubbing that and bringing it in contact with the water to wash that all off, right, uh, there would not be any cleansing. But the real question is, is it you or is it the soap that does the work? Is it you or is it the water that makes your hands clean? And so when God comes along and says, just like he did in Isaiah chapter 1, when he says, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings, your hands are full of blood. He's saying, in effect, take the cleansing that I give you and rub it in and apply it. And your flesh will become as the flesh of a little child, right? And you shall be clean. So my question now is do you have anything in your life that you need to get rid of? Is there anything in there that you need to clean up or needs to be cleaned up? I'm begging you if there is. Take care of it before it's too late. You never know when that last moment, when that last opportunity will be. It very well could be right now. So I'm begging you, don't you wait a moment longer. Will you stand to your feet? If the Holy Spirit of God is dealing with you, if He is convicting you right now, if you are feeling that prick at your heart, I am begging you, please, do not resist, right? Resist no longer. I'm begging you, would you come this morning? Would you come and kneel in an old-fashioned altar and pour your heart out before God, right? Got nothing to do with me. Got nothing to do with anybody else. It's not about us. It's between you and God. So if you've got a need, if you've got a burden this morning, would you come? Whatever it is. Would you come? Maybe God has put on your heart somebody and you need to be praying for them. Then come and pray for them. Maybe there's a need in your own life, whatever it is. You just come on this morning. You just be obedient and do what God has asked you to do.